0: You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Today I'm finishing my series on roots and fruit, uh, an exercise in pulling out the bad in our lives and uh, bringing in the good that God wants to have for us. In part one, I talked about how the roots of why we do things are sometimes rooted in our disappointments. Sometimes rooted in our upbringing, sometimes rooted in trauma or difficulties we 've gone through, or sin that 's been present in the family that we grew up in, and so we sometimes wonder why we do the things we do, and part of the reason is you know that uh, we have these roots there that drive us, and the encouragement in week one was that we would take some time, pray, ask God to help us to understand why we do what we do and that God would help us uproot those things so they would no longer be a part of our lives. In part two, I talked about replacing idols with altars and how idols were things that the culture, uh, the community, the world we live in worships and adores. And even though we don't have images of uh, stone or wood in our house that we bow down to, there are things in our culture that are considered to be important that the world bows down to and sometimes can compete with our affection for God. The Lord wants us to tear down those altars that we worship and set up those uh, idols that we worship and set up altars to Him, places of humility, places of worship, places of sacrifice so that He is first. Last we got talked about living life without masks, how if we're ever going to grow in the way God wants us to grow, we really need to be transparent with each other and real about what we're going through. We need to be real with God, and we need to be real with each other. Otherwise, it's just surface stuff. The people that are in the church that we go to only know us on the surface, but they don't know what we're going through. They don't know what we struggle with. And the call and the encouragement really was to be able to just be who we are and to reflect Christ visibly to others. We've talked a lot about things that we remove, but this week I want to talk about the things that we should plant in our life. You know, if you remove things from your life and you don't replace it with something good, inevitably you'll find yourself going back to the bad things that you used to do. Why? Because human nature and habit, and sometimes we don't know what to fill the day with. So it's important for us to recognize what we need to plant in its place. So this week I want to talk about growing good fruit. So I want us to consider three questions as we think about this today. And the first one is this, what are the seeds that help us grow spiritually spiritually? Are the seeds that help us grow spiritually? We all understand that we need to grow, but you only grow what you plant. But if you don't know what to plant, how is it going to grow in the first place? So the Bible mentions different types of seeds. In Hosea 10:12, it talks about sowing the seeds of righteousness or right actions or right living. To be righteous. We sometimes escape, that meaning escapes us today. We're like, well, how can I be righteous? And righteousness is imparted to us from Christ because we receive forgiveness, we're given a clean slate. But it's also the practice of doing right things around one another for our fellow man. And so as we do that, we are sowing seeds of righteousness. There in Matthew 13 In the parable of the sower and the seed, the seed is the gospel message. So whenever the gospel message is shared, it's a seed that's sown into the lives of people. And some receive it and some reject it. But when it takes root, new life starts to grow in Christ. Jesus also spoke about faith as small as a mustard seed. So if you have a seed of faith that is something that needs to grow it is something that it starts with the belief that god can or will do something so there's a seed of faith that we need to have in our lives second corinthians 9:10 talks about the seed of generosity or giving paul is thankful for the seed sown to help his ministry and to help the church so these are seeds that we need in our life these are seeds that must grow the question is, are we actively planting those seeds in the way that we live? The only kind of seeds that grow are the ones that we actively plant. So you, if you want a garden or if you want a crop or a harvest, you can't go out there and plant tomatoes and expect cucumbers. You can't plant cucumbers and expect pears. Each thing will grow after the seed that you planted In the soil of your life. And so when you plant a certain kind of seed, a certain kind of plant or fruit or crop comes up. So it really begins and begs the question, what seeds are we sowing if we're not sowing good seed? Seeds or weeds, what are we planting? Matthew 13, the parable of the sower and the seed goes on to talk about a parable about a man who owned a a field. And he was growing wheat in that field and an enemy came along and he sowed weeds into that field so that when uh, the wheat would grow, then these weeds would grow alongside of it. and It would make it really difficult for the laborer that was harvesting the wheat. And so weeds are things that don't belong with the wheat. The wheat is good. It is productive. You can make bread out of wheat. You can't make anything out of weeds but more weeds. So we have to be careful what we're sowing and what seeds that we're actually uh, planting in the ground. The good seeds are the gospel, their generosity, their good works, their righteousness, their faith. But seeds that sow weeds are seeds of doubt, seeds of discord, seeds of dissension and confusion. Just a few of the things that the enemy likes to sow into a church. By the way, I'll say this, every October we see the same thing. Uh, You should know that the enemy is actively at work against God's people and his church during the month of October. And I've seen how the enemy can take one little thing and cause people to become offended over that one little thing. Something that wasn't meant an offense but was taken an offense because the enemy allowed us to, to get offended over something that wasn't offensive in the first place. He tries to sow in seeds of discouragement, seeds of dissension, seeds of doubt, seeds of fear, even seeds of depression. That's his calling card. I was sharing this with my son just the other day and I was just sharing with him is that you can always tell where those voices that you hear in your heart and your head are coming from by which way they're directing you. Okay? So if... God brings conviction and humility in your life. It always pushes you closer to God. If it brings guilt and shame and uh, humiliation, then it pushes you further away from God. And so, depending on which voice is leading you in which direction, you can tell whether it's from God or whether it's from the enemy. The enemy will always say, You don't need to go to church, you don't need to pray. God doesn't want to hear from you because you're a mess. And until you get right, God doesn't want to talk to you. That's not God's voice. God's voice says, come and talk to me because you are a mess. And you need to get better. And the only way you're going to get better is if you spend time with the Lord. So we have to recognize seeds or weeds. What are we planting? God has given us the good seed of his word. He has given us seeds of faith, righteousness. But we have to make sure that we receive those things and let them go deep into our lives. Secondly, how do seeds grow? Seeds grow when they are cared for, cultivated, and watered. Seeds grow when they're cared for, cultivated, and watered. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Turn with me in your Bibles for 1 Corinthians 3. Now we're going to park there for a little bit and just kind of walk through that completely so that we can understand it a little bit better. But Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is not a Jewish church. They're a pagan church. Idolatry was part of their culture. They were very worldly, very carnal. There was a lot of worship of uh, idols and a lot of feasts and celebrations connected to those idols. And so Paul had a lot to say to the Corinthian church because there was a lot of instruction and correction that needed to take place. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 first. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Now let's pause here for a minute. Paul addresses the Corinthian church in three ways. And in these three ways, he gives them a measuring stick for f- spiritual maturity. Uh, we see the first one here refers them to, to them as infants that have not quite grown up yet. Infants who are immature and don't know any better. And why does he say this about them? Because although they were Christians, they still acted like sinful people who are still driven by their flesh instead of being driven by and directed by the Holy Spirit. And he says he gave them milk instead of solid food. This is often to refer to his teachings. He says, I wanted you to learn something more complex. I wanted you to go deeper, but you couldn't handle it because you were still so immature and still so worldly. And so he said they had trouble understanding the basics of what it meant to be a Christian, and they were still not ready for that." How do we know that this is true? How do we know that they weren't ready for deeper teaching? How do we know that they weren't ready for maturity yet? What was his measuring stick? And we take a look at it, verses 3 through 5. And this is kind of amazing too because when you look at it, you'll be like, wow, that, this really happened in the church? And it says, in ver- continuing on in verse 3, he says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh. You're beh- behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now, what were the Christians fighting about in the Corinthian church? They were fighting about who they followed, what teacher they liked best, whose ministry they came to faith under, and who discipled them. And so if you read in this uh, chapter 3, and you also look in chapter 1, he said there are are factions of favorites, if you will. People who liked following certain teachers or certain apostles. They had a following. Now, the apostles didn't look for this kind of following, but they followed them nonetheless. And they said, well, I follow Paul. Now, we know who Paul is. Paul wrote Corinthians. Paul is also the apostle who used to persecute the church and now became a Christian and became a missionary and advocate for Christianity throughout the then-known world. He also wrote three-quarters, or 75%, of the New Testament. So anything that you typically read in the New Testament, chances are Paul had a hand in it. Then there was a a character by the name of of Apollos. Now, Apollos came to faith in Christ through a couple named Priscilla and Aquila in the book of Acts. And he was a Jewish man who understood the Scriptures very well, but he didn't know who Jesus was. And so he comes to faith in, in Christ and as a result you look wonderful tonight, by the way. I just want to say that. If you didn't recognize the song. But Ap- Apollos was someone who came to Christ and then he became a teacher and a very good teacher at that. So some people really liked Apollos' teaching. And then it said some follow Cephas or Peter. So the Apostle Peter, he would preach and teach, and he would travel and say, well, I follow Peter. And Paul says, just the very fact that you have factions of favorites indicates to me that you don't understand deep spiritual truth, but rather you are thinking of things in purely a human way. And the fact that you're fighting with each other, that you're bragging about who you follow, and that you're fighting with people because they're of a different belief system than you are. There are Christians today that kind of think that way, and act that way. If you ever go out to a Christian forum or a Christian YouTube station and you read the comment sections, or if you read a post on Facebook and you read some of the comments that Christians have, sometimes Christians can be some of the most argumentative, difficult, and and, and cantankerous group that you would ever meet. And you wonder to yourself, how in the world can the body of Christ function when we don't even get along with each other? There are Christians who fight with each other over different things. You could be there are reformed Christians uh, who love the teachings of people like David Platt, Paul Washer, or John Piper, or even fundamentalists like John MacArthur. And then there's Pentecostal Christians who follow Mario Murillo, Mike Bickle, or T.D. Jakes. And then there's evangelical Christians who follow Stephen Furtick, Russell Moore, or Rick Warren. But Christ never intended us to become followers of these people. He intended us to become followers of Christ. And if our following of factions and favorites of people are causing divisions in the body of Christ, that's a tool that the enemy's using. Listen, there's, we're supposed to follow sound doctrine. And there may be some things out there that's a little wonky and a little sideways. We're supposed to follow so- sound doctrine and to teach and instruct and correct, but not to fight with each other about who we follow and who's better. That's not what we're supposed to do. Take a look at verses 6 through 11. He says, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos waters, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God is the one who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are actually one, and each worker will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field and God's building. According to the grace that God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it, and let each one take care of how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul gives the other two illustrations about maturity and spiritual growth. The first one was, are you an infant or are you mature? Sometimes that's a real honest question we need to ask ourselves. But he also gives the illustration of a plant, that a seed that is planted that someone waters and then another person uh, contributes to, and eventually we see spiritual growth in their life. And the third example is one of someone who makes a building, building, that Christ is the foundation, that when the gospels preach, a foundation is laid, and each person that comes after that contributes to your life in some way is building upon that foundation so that we, the church, are God's field and God's building. And so that you as a Christian may be built up into who God wants you to be, a reflection, an example of who Christ is. So how do seeds grow? We'll talk about the seed one, since that's what we're talking about today. They grow when they're planted, watered, and are cared for. Paul understood his role in the life of the believer. He understood whether he was the one that shared Christ with somebody and they came to faith, or whether he was this person that was teaching them, or the person that baptized them, or the person that's instructing them or mentoring them, they all have a part to play in your spiritual walk and your spiritual growth. So whether it's Paul, Apollos, or Peter, they weren't factions to follow, but rather planters and builders who helped the believers grow. We've all had people in our life like that. Your Christian walk may have started with a friend who led you to Christ. And then a church that maybe baptized you in water. But then you were prayed for, and then people that you liked, maybe you had some crazy Pentecostal friends, and I love our crazy Pentecostal friends. And maybe they said, hey, you know, it's great that you you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's great that you've been baptized in water, but have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And maybe a few friends prayed for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you began to speak in other tongues. And maybe you were in a church, and you started in one church, but you went to another church. Maybe you were saved in, a, in a, uh, a Baptist church, but then you came to a Pentecostal church, and then you were mentored by either a pastor or a spiritual leader or a, de- a deacon or an elder, and maybe they mentored you. Maybe they taught you how to pray. Maybe they taught you uh, how to study your Bible. Maybe they sh- taught you how to evangelize and share your faith with somebody else. And let me tell you something, as you grow in your faith, sometimes as you move along in your faith, you go through different seasons. And as you go through different seasons, sometimes God closes the door on one person in your life and opens the door for someone else. Sometimes a person can bring you into the faith and develop you and help you grow, but then God moves you on, whether you relocate because of a job Or God moves you on to another church, and that person uh, disciples you and helps you grow, and a new person helps you to grow. Can I challenge you with a thought for a moment? Don't throw away what you've learned from someone else, even though they're not part of your life anymore. Listen, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been in ministry a long time. And I've learned things from different people in different parts of my life in different seasons. Even the bad pastors, I've learned something from. And it wasn't just how not to do things, although that's part of it. Some of them had d- good contributions to my life, whether it was to believe God for greater things, or whether it was administrative skills, or how to care for people, or how to visit people in the hospital. My challenge to you is this, is that even though you've been through and two different churches throughout your life, And even though you've had different mentors and pastors speak into your life, don't throw away what they've taught you or what they've poured into you. Instead, remember what they've done. The key in in growing in your faith is not to throw those things away. One plants, one waters, but God makes it grow. And each person has a part in growing your life. Honor that person that is, is poured into your life in some way. They may never hear a thank you. They may never hear how much they appreciate it. They may never hear that you taught them how to pray or you gave them an understanding of the Word. I'm not just talking about pastors as we're in Pastor Appreciation Month. I'm talking about people that were instrumental in you growing in your walk with Christ. Reach out to them. Text them. Give them a the call this week and tell them, hey, thank you so much. For being a part of my life and pouring into my life. One plants, one waters, but it's God that makes it grow. God is the one that's cultivating your spiritual life. He's the one that's helped you. Each person you've encountered has had a part in your spiritual journey. And God was undertaking and carefully planning out the growth of your spiritual life, carefully bringing things together so that you can become the man or woman of God that you are Today. That's by divine design to do so. God is concerned with your spiritual growth. He doesn't just want you to not grow. Remember, when Jesus talked about the vine and the branches, he says, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches, and my father is the gardener. What does that imply? It implies that he's taking care of and overseeing your growth. God wants you to grow. And he's put people in your life for that purpose. Be sure to remember what you've learned. Be sure to uh, honor those who have poured into your life. But the question is, are you caring for the seed that others have planted in your life? For a seed to grow into a plant, flower, or vegetable, or fruit, it has to be nurtured and cultivated. You don't just plant a seed in the ground. You go, well, I guess I'll just come back in three months. And there'll be something out there. Listen, my wife and I have done gardening to a... Somewhat of a measure of success. She's really good at flowers. But we're really terrible with fruits and vegetables. Somehow the the critters always get to them. Or there's some kind of blight that affects them. Or some kind of weed that chokes them out. And it doesn't look like we're supposed to. In other words, it takes constant nurturing. Constant supervision and care. The question is, are you caring for the seed that others have planted and watered in your life? you have been given a seed. What are you doing to show that your faith has grown? You can't grow unless someone else is watering it, unless someone else is showing you how to care for it, and unless someone else is showing you how to nurture it. Your growth will only go so far on your own. Okay, think about that. You will only progress as far as your understanding. Yes, it's true that you can read the Word at home. Yes, it's true you can have wonderful times of worship at home. But your understanding will only progress, your growth will only progress as far as your ability to understand. And that's why we need the body of Christ. That's why we need deacons and elders and spiritual mentors in our life. That's why we need pastors. That's why we need that influence in our life. You can very easily be a Christian but not be part of the church. But that's why Jesus created the church for you to be here. And he didn't just create it so that you could sit here in a church. He created it so that the body of Christ might grow and the work of God might go forward into the world. So your part in being part of the church has a purpose. But it's up to us to be intentional about watering the seed, making sure we're receiving things from God that we're being poured into and that we grow. So finally, what do seeds produce the seeds produce Christian character. Galatians 5, 24 through 26 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not gonna go into every fruit of the Spirit today. That's a different message entirely. But I wanna take a look at that and say, okay, well, we've talked about the seeds God's given us. we talked about people that have planted and poured into us and, and helped us grow. But what should be the end result of that? It'd be one thing if you were a gardener and you kind of said, okay, well, all right, listen, I'm I'm, I'm planting crops, you know, I'm planting tomatoes, I'm planting corn, I'm planting basil, I'm planting different things. And you've gone through all the process of planting the seed, cultivating the seed, watering the seed, making sure the weeds are not in there. And then harvest time comes and you don't go out and check on it. Like, ah, it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be okay. Then what happens? You lose that crop. Why? Because no one's going there and checking on it. No one's checking for the production. And so one of the ways we check our production is what's been produced in our life. Take a look at Galatians 5, 24 through 26. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into us when we receive Christ as Savior. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our life is evidenced by the fruit of character that we produce. So the evidence of whether or not Christ and the Holy Spirit is working in us is are we different than we used to be? Or is it kind of like you just slapped a label that says Christian on you, but you're still the same you? You're still rude. You still like to swear a lot. You still don't do things honestly. You still steal. You still do the things that you used to do. The label is actually not helping you. In fact, you're actually hurting the label when you have this Big sign says Christian, but you haven't changed. The label isn't helping you. You're not helping the label either. In fact, people are going, Well, what's the difference between me and a Christian? In fact, sometimes there are some non Christian people that are slightly more moral than some Christian people out there. Doesn't mean that Christianity doesn't work, it means that we just have the wrong label. We need to allow what we've learned to get into our hearts. God's Spirit works in us, and as God's Spirit is at work within us, and we allow Him to work in us, then we see the fruits of godly character. These are the fruits that were present in Jesus and should be present in us. We need to allow God's Holy Spirit to teach us and change us and help us grow. It's the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. There can be Christians that know a lot of Scripture, but they haven't allowed it to get into their heart. You may be able to quote scripture and quote verses of scripture. You might be able to, to be able to dissect the different divisions of the Bible. You might be able to exegete scripture and to be able to, to lead a devotional or even lead a small group. But if you don't allow what God has spoken through his word to get into your heart, you just know a lot of things, but you don't have a lot of compassion. We're known for our big heads, but not our big hearts. Sometimes we know a lot. And a funny thing that happens when people know a lot is that sometimes they think they're better than other people. I've seen it among Christians. They know so much more, and now it becomes a source of pride. What a backwards way to live. We're supposed to allow God to make us more loving, more compassionate, more joyful. Has any of that knowledge made you a more Christ-like person? If not, then it's head knowledge, not heart knowledge. Some Christians know a lot, but they don't love a lot. Some Christians know a lot, but they don't have a lot of joy. Some Christians know a lot, but they don't have a lot of patience or kindness or gentleness. You may know Jesus in your head, but have you allowed his teaching and his influence to get down into your heart? A simple truth, and it's a little saying that will help you. If you know it, then you'll show it. If you know it, then you'll show it. Not know about it, but know it because you experience the goodness of God's character at work in you and you want to share with other people. As I wrap this up today, the measure of your spiritual growth is simply a matter of doing an inventory. My daughter works at a farm stand here in Southwick. And she works pretty much all summer until about uh, mid-October, end of October when they close up the store. And in there they have different things. They have uh, spices, they have fruits, they have vegetables, they have eggs, they have bread, they have everything. But mostly it's a farm stand that produces fruits and vegetables. And one of the things that they do is before they put those fruits and vegetables out, they look at the fruit, they inspect, and any ones that have gone bad, or any ones that are imperfect, any ones that are not fit for consumption, those are removed and the, the nice ones are put out. The ones that are fully ripe, the ones that are edible, the ones that are presentable, those are the ones that are put out. And so it's their job to check the inventory to make sure we have enough of certain things. And as they go throughout the day, it's a very popular stand. It's right on Route 57 there. So there's a lot of people coming in and out of that stand all the time. And so sometimes they might run out of that particular fruit or vegetable. And when they're out of that thing, then they go to one of the the, uh, uh, people working at the store, and they go, do you have any more apples? Do you have any more oranges? Do you have any more tomatoes? Tomatoes? And they say, okay, we're out. So what do they do? They go out back and they see, do I have any more of this? And then they bring it out to put it on display so that people can buy it. If they're out of it in the back, they go, okay, well, we have to go to the field and check if there's anything out there. And if there's anything out there, we'll harvest it, we'll bring it in, and we'll have it for you by the end of the week. The question is that we need to do a spiritual inventory about the fruits of the Spirit in our life. I want you to take a moment and look at verses 24 through 26 in Galatians chapter 5. I want you to do an inventory right now. Just take a look at your life, and I want you to look at those things. Now, I'm not, you know, some of the ones where you're like, well, you know, I could be a more patient person. No, I want you to really take a deeper look here. Because one of the things, imagine that your life is a fruit stand, if you will. Your life is a farm stand. And doing a personal inventory, as you go through the different fruits of the Spirit at work in your life, are there ones that have gone bad? (laughs) Like, you used to have that fruit, but you don't got it no more. Like, it's clear to everybody around you, you don't have anymore. One of the fruits that typically goes bad when you get older is your patience. It really is, because, like, as you're older, you're like, I just can't even with you. Like you used to be when you're younger, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you worry about what people think about you. So you always kind of couch things very carefully. You say things in in a way that's trying not to be offensive. But there comes a point like when you hit your 50s and 60s, like they just give up. Like am I right? Like you just give up. You're just like, I don't even care how this sounds anymore. Like I'm just so done with people that sometimes you say things and that fruit of patience that used to be present in your life, even that fruit of kindness, has kind of spoiled, and it's not really good anymore, okay? Uh, Look at those different fruits in your life. Do an inventory. Do do I have uh, long-suffering? Do I have kindness? Do I still do good things for people? Or am I still concerned about what I get? Am I faithful? There's one for you. One thing in the church that you'll notice, especially the church in America, there are no end of excuses about why we can't do things why we can't go to church, why we can't show up at the Bible study, why we can't make it to practice, why we can't serve at the, the, uh, the outreach. And it's all kinds of reasons about why we can't do it. And really, faithfulness is something that maybe you had when you were younger and you had the energy, but now that as you're older, you're like, ah, I can't be bothered. Or maybe you served faithfully in a church that you were loved and appreciated, but then as you got older and you're like, man, I'm just tired of doing stuff. And maybe you did Sunday school, but you have no patience for kids anymore. Maybe you used to be present for every service, and you were there for everything, and you're just like, I'm just tired of that. And you don't do it anymore. In fact, you look for a way out. You know, that faithfulness fruit might have gone by the wayside. Or here's another couple ones, because we don't focus on these a lot. We focus on the other ones. When was the last time you had love in your life? Like a love for God, like you love God, like, not that like, uh, you know, God's take it or leave it, or Jesus is something I could have or not have. I'm talking about when was the last time you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you loved him to that degree? Not just like, yeah, I know I'm a Christian, I know I should do the right thing, but no, wh- why did you follow him in the first place? Because you fell in love with Jesus. Do you love him like that? Because I'll tell you something, when you love God that way, an interesting thing happens, you start to love other people. The way he loves you. When you love Jesus, you want to tell other people about Jesus. So is that love still present in your life or has it shriveled up? You know, you go out to it and it's like, ah, it's all shriveled up and it's not really there. What about joy? What's the last time you were joyful about being a Christian? When was the last time you were joyful about serving the Lord? Like it was that you considered it a privilege to do something for God and to serve him and to love him. Like, Christianity should be something that's joyful, but I bet so many Christians, that it's like just sour drudgery. Like, you listen to them, it's like, I wouldn't buy that if you were selling it for free, because it just sounds so horrible. Like, Christianity is suffering, and drudgery, and, and, and you know, and, and rote, and following ritual, and you're like, oh my gosh, why would I want that? But if you experience the joy of your salvation, that like in spite of who you are, Jesus has saved you. And that as we've been learning in our Bible study on Thursday night about what heaven is like and what we can look forward to, there's something that's joy there that you're like, I really love that. Or has it become something where like, you've got to the point in your life where at the fruit stand of your life, you're like, nope, we're out of that. Nope, we're out of that too. What about that? Nope. And then you realize there's no fruit at all in your life. It's a humbling thing to think about, isn't it? There is nothing in the fruit stand of your life. So where do you get it? You start with the seed, start by planting it, and you start by cultivating it. Do you want to see those things back in your life? You start by taking care of your spiritual life and growing again. By asking somebody, hey, can you help me? I I really want to see God work in my life again. I feel like I've lost my first love. Can you just, can you walk me through this? Help me to be a better Christian. Help me to be a better person. And when you do that, we work together and we grow together. One plants, one waters. And in the process, God helps us to grow into who he wants us to be which in reality will make you a happier person. When you are fulfilled in Christ, it doesn't matter how anything else goes. It really doesn't. When you are happy and fulfilled in Christ, it's not Jesus and do this for me. It's not Jesus and these other things. When you are fulfilled in Christ, you become a happier and more well-adjusted person, and God is working in your life. I wonder if we can just take a moment right now as we, Get ready to close this time together. Can we just close our eyes? Just bow our heads in an honest moment and ask ourselves the question, what fruit am I, are you missing? What fruit is maybe gone by the wayside? What fruit is kind of shriveled up and died? Let God's Spirit speak to you. It, it, they're they're his, his fruits. He's he, he put them in you he put the seeds and the ability to to grow them in you jesus said that you know he is the vine and we are the branches and his desire is that we would bear much fruit lasting fruit fruit that will endure so maybe you can as you're thinking about these things you might say you know what i'm missing this in my life i'm missing that in my life. i'm completely out of these things in my life and the good news is that when we come to that realization, we can recognize it and say, God, I want you to grow these things in me once again. Lord, I, I, I don't want to have bitter roots in me. I want to see growth take place in me so that I can be the kind of Christian that you want me to be, so I can be the man or woman of God you want me to be. As I'm sharing those things today, if there's things that God's speaking to you, fruits that you are out of that you need God to work on in your own life, Without anyone looking around, we just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Say, Pastor, God's speaking to me about patience. He's speaking to me about love. He's speaking to you. Maybe He's speaking to you about faithfulness this morning. If that's where you are, just lift a hand, and I want to close in prayer. Praise God. Then let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you have we just want to take a moment and say thank you for saving us. Thank you for the the word that came to us and we believed. Thank you for the person that was faithful to sow the seed and that the ground of our heart received it. And Lord God, we were uh, wonderfully and radically saved by you. We want to thank you for the person that did that in our life. Lord, we want to thank you for all the people that you've brought across our path people who baptized us in water, people who prayed for us and we received the Holy Spirit, people that uh, mentored us and taught us how to pray, taught us how to study the Word, taught us how to to lead our first small group or how to preach a sermon. We thank you for the people that you've put in our life. We thank you for them, even if they weren't perfect people, even if they ended up being jerks, Lord God. We just want to thank you for those people because we learned something from them, Lord, Lord, they were part of the process by which you were bringing about growth in us. God, I pray today that we would be people that are intentional about cultivating the seeds that you've put in our life. God, you're not done with us yet, and there's still things that you want to produce in us. So, God, I pray that you would help us, move us, and motivate us towards you so that we would continually be in the process of growth, that we would not be immature but mature in Christ and that we would see Lord, these things are placed. Lord, I pray for more joy, more love, Lord God, more peace, more patience, more faithfulness, more kindness, more self-control in the life of every person here, including myself, so that we might see, Lord God, your character and your reflection come through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And if you agree with me today, say that. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.